just one phrase out of uh, Mark. Uh, I'm going to cover chapters 14 and 15 today, but uh, it is Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. Everybody say Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. And that means, everybody together, Yeah, so that is uh, our scripture for the morning. Um, I think Mark uniquely uh, approaches this issue. Um, this is what Jesus said from the cross. And uh, Mark and Matthew only record one thing that Jesus said from the cross. And it was, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And so I, I think there's some specific focus in the book of Mark on that whole idea of, of Jesus being forsaken by God. So we're going to talk about that. And I, I, I don't know, I, I guess it was just in reading uh, that I settled on this. But after settling on it, it just seemed like um, a good thing to talk about. Uh, being forsaken, being isolated. Uh, I was poking around on the internet and came across the statistics for suicide. Um, I, I couldn't find this past year, but uh, in 2017, uh, there were about 15 teenagers who committed suicide every day, about a little over 6,000 teenagers uh, in the United States. And I it just ha- I had the statistics for Jessamine County uh, that year, 11 of our teenagers committed suicide. It may not seem like a lot to you, but that seems like a lot to me that uh, 11 out of our little county would have committed suicide. But that's not the whole picture because if you have 11 that are successful, you've got dozens that attempted. Uh, Most suicides don't end in success. I guess there's not a class in high school on how to do it, thank the Lord. But uh, So if you've got this peak of an of a iceberg sticking out of the water where you have a, a dozen teenagers in our county, think of the submerged part of the iceberg that, that spreads out, you know, ten times as wide as, as the peak of the iceberg and the danger of that uh, as we try to navigate uh, growing up in this county. Uh, I had a pastor friend, he was an acquaintance that came to our prayer meeting that we host. Um, He only came a couple times, and about, oh, eight months later, um, they found him overdosed in his car uh, out at Red River Gorge. He had committed suicide. Um, I came across this video. There was a father who, uh, he, he, he tells the story about his son committing suicide, seemingly happy. And he and his wife had gone away on their anniversary. They were down in Mexico, and they were sitting at a table. And they got a simultaneous text that said, Mom, Dad, I love you. Um, and I don't know what the rest of it said, but in the end, um, it uh, it explained that, he wouldn't be there when they got home. She starts screaming. He gets on the phone, calls his mother who's watching uh, the little 
the young, young man, really. I think he was about 12, 14 years old. And uh, she goes and finds him, and he has already committed suicide that fast. Uh, but, but the point, though, is that happens oftentimes as people get isolated, as, as people get in this darkness and they feel unconnected. I was reading uh, about Reese Howell's intercessor, and he, and he talks about life. What is life? Life is connectivity. Life is being connected to the environment around you. Um, you breathe because there's air. You see because there are things there. Um, you feel because something's there. You're connected. And when the connectivity ends to all of that, there's no life. And he says, in the same way, eternal life is connectivity to God. Because God is there, we can be connected to him. But when we cease to be connected to him, life ends. And as people become more and more disconnected from, from others and disconnected from God, life dwindles. And they can see no hope but the end. Uh, the, the only way they can take control is to end that dying life. I was talking to Bill. Bill Bill's my music expert. He's my Beatles expert, actually. And uh, he was telling me uh, that uh, John Lennon, he wrote the, book, the, the song Help. Um, and so I Googled it and, and found out a little more about it. Uh, but Bill, Bill had seen a, an interview with, uh, who was that guy? In the Dick Cavett show, Bill used to stay up late night and watch uh, a long time ago. Uh, you can ask him who Dick Cavett is. Um, uh, he, 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 he was before Johnny Carson, I think. I don't know. Um, and John Lennon explained that it was written during a time of, uh, of sincere isolation, of, of loneliness, of depression. And I looked it up, and, and the reason he was depressed is uh, they had become so successful. And because of his success, he was no longer really connected like he used to be, and he didn't know how to live in that world. And uh, they had done a movie, and they decided to name the movie Help. And so he had to write this song, and, and I think that other guy, uh, Paul McCartney, is that it? Um, he was really uh, sort of the technical writer. I think John Lennon was sort of the poet, and McCartney was more of the the technical musician. So the two of them worked on it, and uh, it says, help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. But uh, he was really reaching out and, and, and needing help. Uh, songs a lot of times are written about pe by people who are, who are depressed or whatever, and they're needing help. By the way, Bill, do you know what the flip side uh, of, of the, the single was? I'm down. I'm down, yeah. I'm down. <laughs> help, I need somebody. I'm down. Uh, so, so music a lot of times is, is it, it kind of expresses that, those feelings. And you see a lot of songs written by people who must have been in that place of loneliness or, or dejected, and, and they kind of sing as a therapy. So I think we really should live that way. And I, I'm going to try to demonstrate that as... as as we're walking through today, but I really think that we should have songs for the way we feel and that, and that we should live in these songs. Uh, unfortunately, uh, too many people live 
in secular songs, and, and they don't live in the real songs of the kingdom, the, the book of Psalms. Uh, the, the songs that we place in our hearts sometimes shape our life and sometimes give the actual meaning to our life uh, as we live those songs. And um, I think Jesus had his head full of songs. And all along the way, you know, he would see a tree and he would sing a song about a tree inside. And, uh, and I think you'll see um, as we go through here that, that songs are just bubbling all through what's going on. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm going to work us down through chapter 14 and uh, chapter 15. And remember, the key verse is uh, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Only appears in Matthew and Mark. And Matthew and Mark choose to only give that of the seven sayings which Jesus gave from the cross. So I'm going to go a lot of places. So get your Bible, get your pen, get your paper, and let's go for it. Father, I want to ask that you would bless our quick read, uh, our broad view, uh, and our applications in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, receive deeply. Receive deeply as we walk through. And uh, maybe I'll read Isaiah 53 uh, before we get started. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and, an, and acquainted with grief. He's sorrowful, he's rejected, and he's full of grief. I know that's poetic, uh, and, and I know it, it kind of catches you when you read that. But still, I think when we think of the cross, we mainly think of the, the, the crown. We think of the beating. We think of the spear. Uh, we think of the blood. But grief, sorrow, rejection. Jesus suffered grief. He suffered rejection. It'll go on and we say that, say that we did even esteemed him, what? Smitten of God. And so that's what I want you to focus on. Let's look at the cross and let's don't look at the, the beatings. Let's don't look at the, 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 the physical pain. But let's look at the rejection. Let's look at the isolation. Let's look at the darkness that came across Jesus in that time. I think there might be a person or two here that can relate. But if you can't relate, uh, you know somebody that could. And if you live in this county, you live around people who can relate so, so directly to this kind of isolation that they will kill themselves in this next year. So, so let's let God show us Jesus. Let's remember Jesus. And what I want us to remember is that he suffered grief and sorrow and isolation and darkness. And he went to a very, very dark place. All right? 
So let's walk down through and let's, let's just look at it. Uh, and I'll just point it out as we go. We're going to do a pretty quick read through here. I'm going to skip some verses. Uh, and I'll just tell you where I'm reading from. And I'm going to start in uh, Mark 14, of course. So there's a lot of things that happen to Jesus. This is a beautiful thing that happens, but is it really? There's a woman who has nard or spicknard, uh, however you want to pronounce it, or whichever word you want to use, and it's very costly ointment. And she takes it, and she breaks the bottle open, and she uses this, and she anoints Jesus. But what is she anointing him for? This is an anointing into a road into darkness, an anointing into to, to total rejection. It is an anointing that is preparing him for the cross. It was sweet. It was intimate. It was a revelation. It was honoring but it was foreboding. Let's keep reading. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And now by verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of, these twelve, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. Can you imagine if you were a pastor or a minister and all of the other ministers had gotten together to hire an assassin? And they paid him. Even if he wasn't successful, how would you feel about living your life in that city? They promised to give him money to betray him. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Mark 14, 12. Um, And on the first day of unleavened bread... When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, this is, this is all very interesting. Jesus is getting ready to pour his life out, and he's going to institute this meal, Passover. And the Passover is going to represent, hey, I'm going to give my body for you. I'm going to pour my blood out for you. And it's very significant that it's at this it's at this meal that he brings up the fact. I'm going to pour my life out to you but for you but one of you is going to betray me. But you know what? I'm still going to pour my life out for you. And when it was evening he came with the twelve and as they were reclining at table, this is verse 17, and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And so if this were a movie, a very familiar song, they would begin to sing it. It's like a musical. It would come from Psalm 41, verse 9. 
Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. This was a song that they sang fairly regularly. Can you imagine Jesus? He's there. He's not only providing a meal, but that meal represents him providing his body. And this song comes to his mind. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Of course, there's, there's a larger song that would be going on in him uh, about this event. And he realizes this song captures right where I am. Mark fourteen twenty two. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it broke, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And then verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And now we begin to see the effects of this rejection and isolation. He was greatly distressed and troubled. He had this, he was afeared. And he was troubled in his soul. Now, if you've ever dealt with depression or uh, just this darkness, I, I can relate to this pretty well. People don't know this about me. But, but I've got a dark side. And, 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 and I can get pretty, pretty isolated from everything. And, and I have to fight through it. Um, and I think Jesus is probably the best example of fighting through it. Uh, but I know what it means to be afraid. I know what it means to be uh, just troubled in my soul. Um, it goes on. Um, it's just anxiety, distress. This is where Jesus was going. And here he is, and I'm, I'm not going to read it. Uh, it's verses 34 and 35. Sorrowful uh, in verse 34 under pain. Uh, this is all going on. And basically what happens here is... is Three times he's gone up into this place to pray. He's in this place of, 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 of darkness, of sorrow, of, of, of distress. He's got his three closest with him. And he goes. And he finds that they're asleep. The whole world is turning against me. I'm crying out to God. And my three closest, can, can, can't, you, can't you pray with me? Don't you see what's going on? Then he goes back and he prays some more. And he comes back and it's, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Can, can't you, don't you... You are my three that I, I intended to turn my, my ministry over, and you can't pray with me. And then he goes, and he comes back, and he, the, the last time he comes back, and he realizes this is hopeless. It's enough. Let me go on in this darkness. 
I know that I've lost them. Are you still sleeping, verse 41, and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And immediately, while he was still speaking to those three, forget it. No support there. It's, it's, it's done. It's gonna, here we go. And immediately, it says, Judas came, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss, that's the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. His own familiar friend who had just shared a meal with him comes and kisses him as a sign to take Jesus. It's kind of a pause. Another song comes into the movie. Psalm 55, 12 through 14. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you. It is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. I'm sure Jesus sang that song in his soul because it was a song written by David who over and over wrote songs that were prophetic of the coming of Christ. There's a verse, let me see if I can find it real quick about that. Acts 2, 29-32. This is, this, is this is the John Lennon of uh, the Old Testament uh, with a bit of Paul McCartney thrown into him. Peter's preaching. He says, Brothers, I may say to you, Acts 2, 29-32. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and in his tomb And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we all are witnesses. So a lot of David's psalms are undoubtedly prophetic uh, because the scripture tells us that outright, that many of the things that God said to David really weren't for him, but it was a prophecy of, uh, of the coming Christ. Now, the trick is, can I get my notes back in order? So he's been betrayed with a uh, 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 kiss. Mark fourteen forty nine through 50. Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. 
He's talking to the guards that have come to take him. Now they're going to take him. The priests sold him. His disciples let him down. Judas betrayed him. And now the Romans have him, and they're going to take him away. And he says, I was there all, the, all along. Why didn't you just take me in daylight? He says, but nonetheless, listen to this, nonetheless, let the scripture be fulfilled. All right, you're here. I know what's going on. God's doing something. Have at it. Verse 51. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, this is the only place in the Bible that this story appears. And there are a lot of people who think that was, this very well could have been Mark. Because Mark is the only one who records this. And some people think that none of the other guys did because they didn't want to diss Mark. But Mark wanted to make sure that this was recorded. Whether it was Mark or whether it was some other young man, the youth group left him. Evidently, this kid was there, maybe with the disciples. Jesus was praying. It was happening. But the guards show up, and he runs off. So again, somebody leaves him so quickly that they leave their clothes behind. Can you see a theme here? You ever felt rejected? (laughs) You ever felt lonely and dark, like nobody's around? You've probably never had, I'll guarantee you, you've never had this depth of rejection. Where the religious leaders, the political leaders, your friends, the youth group, they all left you. Sometimes so fast, they left their clothes behind. Verse 53. Well, nobody answered that question. You see, you get the theme here? Okay. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. On down to 64. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. I was anointed for the cross. And immediately, boom. Boom, boom. All those old songs begin to make sense. My familiar friends, people that were in the throng with me, they've rejected me. And now he is condemned by the spiritual leaders to death. Verse 66, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, She looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. You know the story. This continues. Um, 
down to verse 72. And immediately the, cross, roast, <laughs> the rooster crowed a second time. And re- Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. If you ever had a close friend, maybe your best friend, and for some reason he was in a conversation with someone else, and you heard him deny you in some way, or talk about you in a way that wasn't uplifting, with social media and email and and, and all the different communications going on, it, it happens more and more. People, not that you thought were your friends, but people who were really your friends, they let it seep out somewhere and they don't know you're listening and it just burns you. Have you ever let it seep out and your friend found out about it? This is Peter. And it says, when that happens, you know it was wrong. You know you shouldn't have done it. But you get caught. He goes on and it says, and he broke down and wept because he realized how he had denied Jesus three times. Chapter 15, verse 6. Are you seeing that there's truly a theme here of rejection? I mean, are you seeing that, that it's, it's, he's getting narrowed and narrowed and narrowed to a place of, 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 of just total isolation? And now think about it. Jesus came to deliver us from sin and death. Life is connectivity. Death is is being cut off. He is being cut off so we can be connected. And now, at the feast, verse 6, chapter 15, they used to release to them one prisoner for whom they asked. Verse 10, this is Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The closer you are to being a teenager, the better you're going to understand this. Because teenagers are forced to be together at school. And the school is chosen for them. And they have to be around all the personalities. And when the mob mentality gets going, even people that would otherwise not condemn you just because of the mob they condemn you. This is what goes on in high schools. You know why it doesn't happen? As you get older, you self-isolate. You take yourself out of the mob. You try to find people who will (laughs) tell you how good you are. 
And so it happens less as you get older, but to the degree that it happened in high school, it's to that degree that you kind of carry that inside of you and you sing those old songs of rejection that aren't yours to sing. They weren't written for you. They were written for Jesus. He was the one who was to sing this song. He is the hero of the story of rejection. And so they delivered him. The one who had the authorities, the teacher that could have set him free, delivered him over. Mark 15, 16 and 19. And the soldiers lied, led him away inside the place, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. Now you've got a whole battalion of, of, of uh, Roman soldiers. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down to him in homage. Sort of a pause in the action. Another song comes into the movie. Psalm 22, 7 through 8. All who see me, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Sort of a jester song, you know, a mocking song. A moment of sensitivity and an anointing to go into a a, a week of being rejected by everyone. Now, you not only have the political leaders, but now you have the military that is mocking you, making fun of you, and yes, beating you. Mark 15, 25. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. He didn't drink something alcoholic to ease the pain. He chose to endure fully the pain that he needed to endure. There's a purpose in this. And they offered him wine. He did not take it. Verse 24. And they crucified him. And they crucified him. Now, a lot of people read that and they killed him. They didn't kill him. They crucified him. (laughs) Crucified means to be nailed to a cross. He's still got six hours to go. But the ultimate ultimate rejection to be stripped naked and to be nailed to a cross as a thief and raised up into the air. And so now we're going to see what's going on inside of Jesus. We're going to have to skip over to some other um, other, um, scriptures. Um, 
there's four Gospels. And like I said earlier, there are seven things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. Um, Luke gives us three. John gives us three. But Mark and Matthew only give us one. And it's the only one they choose. And it's Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? So let's look at these real quick. And then we'll center in a little bit on, on what Mark tells us to kind of sum up this theme of rejection. The first one, chronologically, you find it over in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Huh. All of his friends. This happens with his prayer partners at meals. The political leaders, the religious leaders, the army, everybody. Everybody has rejected him. Just like everybody has rejected God. Because all he did was good and right. What's the first thing? Where did he go to start with? Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Lord. They're insane. They are insane. They have no idea what they're doing. The next one is in Luke 23, 43. He's got two thieves hanging on either side of him. They've mocked him and made fun of him. But one of them has a change of heart and realizes that he's the son of God, confesses that, and while he's hanging on the cross, he preaches the gospel. <laughs> In the midst of his rejection, he specifically and uniquely preaches the gospel. He gets his attitude right toward everybody else. And he specifically zeroes in on a guy and preaches, lives, becomes the gospel to him. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke twenty three forty three. Then the next thing he does, and this is so amazing to me, is in John 19, 26 and 27. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. <laughs> he is, I mean, he, he, he's got to be moving toward delirious. I don't know. But what is he thinking of? I can't believe they've treated me this way. Nobody loves me. No. He realizes when I'm gone, my mama needs somebody to take care of her. <laughs> Last minute detail. And he looks down at John, the disciple that, that Jesus loved, the disciple that he drew to his breast, and he said, Mary, this is now your son. John, this is now your mother. 
And I love to think that through and, and see what that was like for the next 40 years. We're pretty sure that Mary moved with John to Ephesus uh, after Jerusalem fell and uh, that she would have been privy to, to a lot of the teaching of John, uh, that she provided a lot of the story for Luke when he wrote his gospel. And then it kind of changes. Next is, is it goes a, a different direction, and he realizes the ultimate in rejection. He's, he, he's covered these three things, and then we get here in Mark and Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. It's Mark fifteen thirty-four. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why, why hast thou forsaken me? We cannot understand that. I don't care how close you have been to somebody. I don't care who has stabbed you in the back. This relationship between father and son is an eternal relationship. There is such unity and life flowing from it that everything you see, everything that exists is the product of these two in relationship with each other. There is nothing we know that isn't the product of their life together and their great joy. The thing that they are well pleased with is one another. They've never had a moment of alienation. And it's not a shallow friendship. It is the wellspring from which all connectivity flows. And having had that, Jesus is separated from it. Uh, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. If you ever find yourself isolated, don't you think that God does not know how you feel? He knows how you feel, and he knows a whole lot more. And then he goes on. And he says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. He's getting close to death. The blood is drained from his body. His mouth is full of cotton. And he's in touch with his physical body, dissipating. He was very much a human being at the same time that he was God. He said, I'm thirsty. And then John 19.30, that was 19.28, John 19.30, he says, it is finished. It is finished. 
Something I'd like you to think about is that Jesus went through an ordeal. <laughs> yes, there was a lot of beating and, and, and thorns and all of that stuff. But I think in Mark's mind, that day he ran off, being privy to Peter's denial, seeing Jesus isolated, I think the key event for him was Jesus being rejected by God the Father. Mark understood that. He understood what Jesus felt because somehow he was in the midst of it. But as Jesus is, 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 is getting ready to, to breathe his last, what does he say? He says, it is finished. It is finished. What's he been doing all along? When, when they, yeah, when they, when they came in the garden, when they came in the garden, he said, it's enough. It's enough. Let the scripture be fulfilled. He knew that he was leading to salvation. He knew that there was a purpose in his life. In the midst of rejection, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of darkness, what was he doing? He was pressing ahead knowing that his father had a purpose for him. And even, even suffering rejection from the Father, it's still moving ahead till he gets to the point and he says, it's finished. I'd like you to think about that. If you live another 10 years, you may get into some dark times. You may feel rejected. But what did Jesus do? He lived knowing that he had a purpose. The songs he sang all moved toward the glorification of God. He had built his life on a trajectory that was going to end in glorification. And he didn't get down in the dumps. He didn't get mad at people. He didn't point his finger. He hung on to the fact that he and the Father had a purpose together, and he continued to live that purpose in his mind, even hanging on the cross, rejected of everybody. He forgave him. He took care of his mother. He talked to another person <laughs> about eternity. And then he's overwhelmed, and he realizes, I'm forsaken. <laughs> By God. But I know there's purpose in this. I'm thirsty. It's near the end. It's finished. It's finished. It's done. Faithful to the end. Now, Father, 
into your hands I commend my spirit. And those are the last words that we have of Jesus on the cross. Luke 23, 46. Oh, wow. Wow. Mark goes on. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Amazing. It was darkness that leads up to Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I think Mark throws that in there to just finish the picture. My best friend has forsaken me. My team is gone. The government, the military is against me. Everyone's against me. And darkness, darkness is covering the whole earth. And God has forsaken me. But I've spent time with God. <laughs> I know who he is. I know who I am. And I know the purpose I serve. And I press ahead until it's finished. And when it's all said and done, I trust my life into the hands of Jesus. And the theme song that started when this uh, movie opened up, it was just music, but now they throw the words into it. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 22, 1 and 2. Now there's a sequel to this movie. Uh, and that song encompasses the whole, the whole story because it is going to lead to resurrection. But, but I don't want to go there this week. There's a reason. Jesus said, when you come to this meal that I instituted, remember me. I think when we come to this meal, we need to remember that Jesus suffered. And specifically, I think Mark wants us to remember he suffered rejection. Total rejection till the whole world became dark. Verse 38 of Mark 15. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And as he says this, the curtain that represented the separation between us and God because of our sin us being separated from God when Jesus suffered that separation when Jesus died guess what happened the curtain was torn from top to bottom and the separation that mankind felt from God was no longer to those who would trust him Amen. and the spirit came out of the temple went into heaven 
and a few days later descended, and now God lives inside of you. Because Christ suffered separation from God, God now lives inside of you, and He will never leave you or forsake you. Now, we're broken, (laughs) and we're poorly trained. And our emotions and our feelings might sometimes tell us that God is far away. God is no further away than your heart. Now, if if you've received a heart transplant in your heart somewhere else, that's a different story. But God is no further away than your hands, your feet, your mind. God now lives inside of you. You've got to understand that your separation from God is what messed up your mind. Your separation from God is what broke you and what made you bitter when people treat you wrong. Because God is not bitter when people treat him wrong. Your separation from God is, is, is what made you despair and lose focus of what your life is about when you're rejected. Because God never lost focus. And he kept going when he was rejected. He fought off all the rejection and rebellion just to demonstrate, I love you. But we're broken because we did live in separation. But God wants to bring his word. And he wants us to live like Jesus said. Jesus was separated. And he felt separation. We only feel separation. We can know for a fact we're not separated. And we can know two things. We can know that God has a purpose for our life. And even when we are as dead as a doornail to whatever that thing is that we need to have fulfilled. God is God. He has a purpose on our life. And we can keep living our life for God. And in the end, we will have the joy of saying, in your hands, I commit my spirit. So here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. Number one, you will never feel isolation and darkness as deep and as dark as Jesus felt. And he is here by the Holy Spirit, and it says he wants to help you. But here's the second thing. When you feel separated, when you feel dark, you need to understand that God is with you. And what God does in those times is he loves the people around him. Even the ones who have recently rejected him, denied him, stabbed him in the back. And you can do that. You can do that because Jesus did it and he lives inside of you. If you can just get those two or three things from, from, from resting in this part of the story and seeing what Jesus went through, it'd do you some good. (laughs) This is a work of God.
This is God. It's not psychology. We can't talk ourselves into it. We can't play games with ourselves and say things aren't as though they are. All we can do is allow God to come and live big and liberate us. And there was a centurion at his feet. Come on up, Paul. There was a centurion at his feet. And when Jesus breathed his last breath, it began right there. It began right there. It was finished. The Spirit of God had been released. And immediately, the scales fell from the eyes of that centurion at the foot of the cross. And what does he say? This is God. This is God. A God who forgives. A God who loves. A God who shares his son. Hallelujah. And it began. And it's been going ever since. But today, I want us to remember Jesus in this one aspect. We have a lot of communions, 52 a year. And I can't wait until communion next week because... We'll do the sequel. We'll sing the rest of the song. And we'll get to the resurrection. But there's something sweet about being around and contemplating the anointing of Jesus toward his death. And just remembering that for a week. Hope it doesn't bum you out. I hope it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you understand that he understands. Come on up, Bill.